You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al-Sayed. On this weekly talk show, we invite experts from all aspects and journeys um, to tell us about their professions in their fields. Remember, if you have any questions for us, feel free to leave your questions on our Emoji app under the Inspire platform. We also want to remind you that you can um, reach out to us to let us know if you if you have suggestions for people who want to be on the show, um, or if you have any interesting professionals around you from our Shia community, inshallah. On today's show, we invite Dr. Shabir Kermani. He's a researcher, speaker, engineer, and many more things, which we will get into. Um, he's passionate about the future of our community and works to bridge um, the gap. Um, so Shabir is an enthusiastic technologist. He's a public speaker. He has diverse professional background, working with Fortune 500 firms in sectors as diverse as finance, pharmaceuticals, and consulting. Um, he most recently worked as a data scientist in the defense and space sector. He's also a certified uh, certified project management uh, professional. Um, so I'm telling you guys, there is a lot here. <laughs> I'm going to let um, Dr. Shabir uh, expand on everything else that he's done instead of me just telling it all off the bat. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. I'm well, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, so can you tell us about your um, educational um, degree and your journey through that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm really excited to be here and kind of share some of my journey and story and mm -hmm. hopefully it resonates with some of uh, your audience. Um, so my uh, my basis was kind of um, always just being curious and learning. And you may find that as a theme throughout my life. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents really inculcated, you know, reading and learning very early on uh, in our lives. And so um, when I when I hit um, as growing up, when I was, I still actually vividly remember this. We grew up in or um, in D.C. in Washington, uh, in Maryland area. Our first part of my life. I'm talking mm -hmm. to me and my brothers, my siblings, and my family. And then we had moved to Dubai for a few years in the Middle East, and then we moved back to the states. And I remember vividly, actually, now that you remind me that there was a uh, moment where I was in a admissions interview for like a middle school or something mm -hmm. in uh, in Dubai and uh, the the principal who was interviewing me said like what's your favorite subject and I said math I, said, I love it and um, they said well what do you want to be when you grow up and I said I want to be a doctor <laughs> and so it was, she was like really that's very interesting it seemed a bit uh, off the wall so I think initially in the first part of my life I was very intrigued by that I came from a family of doctors I had uh, especially from my mom's side a lot of physicians in the family and that was kind of the drift, if you will, of how things were. Uh, but when I hit college, I actually found that I had an aptitude for math and an interest in things that were applied math. And I kind of went down that that avenue. So I actually studied economics as a major. And I also did two minors, uh, in one in math and one in computer science. Um, that well, I, the way I was able to do that was because I did this program in high school called dual enrollment, which let you do college classes while you were in high school which mm -hmm. really saved me a lot of time, which was really great and allowed me to learn more. And so around that time I had read, uh, while I was just in college or entering college, I had read uh, Iftisaduna by Shayd Baqo Sadr, uh, which influenced me quite a bit that I did not know this whole world of Islam and economics or what's Islam's worldview on economics. Mm -hmm. And also I had uh, read um, Free Economics, which is quite an interesting book, which is uh, at the bridge of behavioral economics, psychology and economics, which is quite fascinating book to me mm -hmm. uh, by Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner, two co-authors, one an economist, one a journalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, also 
The other thing was, it was the recession of 2007, 2009, and it was the peak of that. And so that economy was really on that radar. So I was fascinated by that. And so then I went on into uh, applied more, more math. So I did my master's in engineering, and then I also did my PhD in engineering. So but mm -hmm. I'll stop and pause here for a second. <laughs> No we'll let that um, marinate. There's a lot here. So there's a lot of, uh, I think, advice, uh, valuable um, advice that we can learn from you. The first advice that I want to ask you about is um, what advice do you give for curious youth um, who are getting into college, university and are unsure of what they want to do? Yeah, really, really great question. So um, definitely try to get a pulse of understanding yourself and who you are. So one mm -hmm. of the traditions that really resonated with me throughout my life is the one uh, where we're told that the one who understands themselves understands their Lord. And sometimes we glance over this very quickly, but it's a really deep tradition. Like understanding yourself can help you lead to understanding your Lord. Is that even possible? Like mm -hmm. Einstein once said that, you know, I want to know God's thoughts. Every The rest are just details. And so that's something that's really important. So I would always leave the door open to exploring different fields and always being intellectually curious, number one. The other thing I often mention for people to do is the, the Ikigai or uh, Ikigai, which comes from Japan. Um, and it's essentially just drawing three Venn diagrams and uh, each circle and looking at the overlap between them, right? Mm -hmm. And this has been formed in different ways. Many people have taken it, taken it and make, made their own. Anyways, the first circle is what do you love doing? And you can just mm -hmm. go down the list. It doesn't have to be one thing. It doesn't have to be two. It could be several things, right? You could say sports. You could say math. You could say physics. Mm -hmm. You could say whatever, whatever's your interest, art, you know, writing, whatever it is, write that all down in one circle. And then the second circle is if you put your heart and mind to it, if you put in the work, if you put your heart and mind to it, what could you be the best in the world at the world? Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes like, for, for us, people have told me, uh, and I sometimes reflect on this for me, maybe it'd be if I put my heart and mind to it, dedicated, you know, the 10,000 hour rule as, as, as it's become famous to become world-class in anything, maybe the, I could be a, a pretty good speaker. Everyone has their own answer, right? Um, so what is that? And honestly tell yourself that. Uh, you don't have to share this with anyone. This is just personal. Mm -hmm. And the third circle is what could you deliver value to others in? And another way of saying that is what would people be willing to open their wallet to pay you for? What would people okay. find? And so when you look at the intersection of these three things, it may help give you some clarity on what you want to do with your life. Um, and in the middle, for example, I often get many things that are very similar, like uh, uh, author, public speaker, consultant, you know, coach, advisor, things, professor, these things always show up in mind. And it may change over time because we change as humans. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing I would really recommend is look, taking, taking personality tests, uh, mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs or others, but they're not 100%, keep that in mind but they may get you 80% of the way there or 90% of the way there. And always remember, we are dynamic. There's a study that was done by Dan Gilbert at uh, Harvard University that said, mm -hmm. we don't realize how much we change over a 10 years decade of our lifespan. Oftentimes we change a lot. So oftentimes do these person, we sometimes do these personality tests once in high school, once in college and we're done. Uh, you should do this periodically to see how you've changed. As a or person. you do it one time. You're like, this is my future. This is my fate. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big thing. And that can be a big problem, especially mm -hmm. if you answer it, not how you are, but how you want to be. Yeah. And so that, that can be a huge challenge because it gives you misdirection uh, yeah. in life.
and that's actually a really important point which I'll bring up is there was a moment in my life I've always been good in math but there was a slump period in my uh, high school years or middle school years actually where I wasn't doing so well but mm-hmm. I started thinking psychologically that was incompetent in terms of math whereas mm-hmm. I realized I wasn't doing my homework I wasn't doing the assignments you weren't working you're not going to understand I wasn't working for it so mm-hmm. oftentimes you may think you're not good at chemistry or math or physics or science or astronomy or whatever the subject it is but you have to ask yourself first of all did you put in your all before mm-hmm. you made this conclusion that you don't get it the most important technique to success is actually what Dr Carol Dweck at Stanford University she's written an excellent book called Mindset mm-hmm. and she talks about the growth mindset and the most important word to success is yet if you say i don't get math don't say i don't get math say i don't get math yet i don't get the subject yet i haven't gotten there yet there's always these cycles in life where you will eventually uh, uh get there so mm-hmm. personality test and then and then the third thing is asking other people sometimes okay. people people you really believe and trust and rely on family friends you know family members friends ask them their sincere and honest opinion hey how could i be better what's my blind spot what am i not seeing that i could improve on or what are my talents that you see in me i sometimes give a public speak a speech and i may think it's not the most difficult thing but oftentimes people come to me and say i don't think i could ever do that mm-hmm. but if i ask them what they do in their life there's probably a dozen things that i could never fathom doing mm-hmm. because they do it so well so sometimes an outsider's perspective helps yeah something you said um about the the Kyuki is that what it's called? Uh ikigai. Yeah. Ikigai. Yes. Um so you said that uh one thing is knowing what people what you're valuable for basically, right? What would people pay you for? Sometimes if we don't value our own efforts or, or our own um talents, we won't be able to define that, right? So how do you get to that point of knowing what you should be valued for? Yeah, so really it's a really good question, a really important one. Uh one thing that often happens as human beings is we have self-doubt which creeps in. And mm-hmm. um oftentimes this culminates with like imposter syndrome. If you read uh so there I can mention a lot of books on this uh, topic, <laughs> but you will find that there's something called imposter syndrome. When they did a survey of people at top-tier universities in America, uh at like the MITs and Harvards of the world, they found that the majority, if not 50%, 40%, some substantial population actually suffered from imposter syndrome at some of these top universities. Mm. They feel like they're the one who got their they just slipped in in mm. admissions. Uh this is this is separate from those people who paid to get into the likes of Harvard that was in the news recently. Yeah. But the idea was if 40% of the population is thinking they just slipped in that's imposter syndrome that it can't be that many people who actually do that maybe one or two and so you belong that's the first thing that you need to mm-hmm. tell yourself and you are capable and you are able and sometimes you may find that the market for certain things is a lot more than you imagine for it to be uh take in our modern world nfts today i'm talking to a lot of people who are in the art space mm-hmm. who are like monetizing and they realize that there's a market for what they're doing in the nft space and how that can be monetized we often don't value these things so it's very important to first have self belief mm-hmm. number 1 and number 2 uh then take it on i'll give a quick very very quick uh story there's a guy who was known as the king of las vegas i'm not in- endorsing las vegas but he mm-hmm. said uh, he was known as the king and so they asked him you know after many years 30 40 years a friend of his asked him like hey who gave you that title just curious after out of curiosity asked him who called you that 
I said, I called myself that. <laughs> I called myself the king of Las Vegas. And then everyone started catching on. Mm-hmm. And, it, and so sometimes it's that self-belief to first believe that you have that value. And, mm-hmm. um, and you may be surprised in our world today, we live in a very different world than 100 years ago. 100 years ago, there was only a few fields that you could go into. You can a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Our world is totally different now. We have YouTube, we have um, Twitter, we have Facebook, we have all these, uh, you know, social media social platforms, media platforms. Tic- TikTok across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the world's about to get even more, more uh, decentralized, and it's mm-hmm. about to get even more uh, with the blockchain technology, because before, I mean, now we need Uber as a middleman, or we need some other uh, yeah. service provider as a middleman, but this is going to change that dynamic. So today, there are people who are making the substantial income, making YouTube videos, this yeah. is happening. People are doing their NFT and artwork. People are really moving. You know, you may have heard of the term. It's quite old now, but that digital nomads, right? People mm-hmm. are moving, especially with COVID. So uh, you may find a tremendous marketplace and you just have to try and stay with it and stay committed. And inshallah, you'll go far. Inshallah. So put your goals in mind and maybe do that um, test and see what comes out, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, very quickly to that point, mm-hmm. point of point, uh, yeah. in our, it, sometimes this ecosystem, which you operate, uh, is, um, it matters. If I, if, if you go to the secular space outside of the religious realm, mm-hmm. it's, if you get paid, I'm giving an example where, because we're talking about that particular question of Ikigai, a thousand dollars for a lecture is a very small amount. It's very like for, if you go outside of the religious space, mm-hmm. um, in fact, uh, you, I remember I was part of one of these, uh, uh, conferences, uh, I think it was IMI actually, uh, mm-hmm. the good people there do great work. Um, and we were doing a youth conference and we were calling some renowned speakers and the n- amounts that they were asking for public speaking uh, was astronomical. In fact, mm-hmm. one of these very famous people who actually had a TED talk, their assistant, uh, uh, they said, this guy's booked for two years out. Mm-hmm. His assistant's available and his assistant's numbers were astron- astronomical. So why am I saying this? The reason I'm saying this is your audience may think that, oh, my value in terms of what people are willing to pay for this may be only a, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Whereas you may find that there are people who are willing to actually contribute a lot more than you imagine. So mm-hmm. there's also that side of the equation. But and Don't undervalue yourself, right? Do not do that. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, so there's, there's a lot here. And I want to focus on um, a couple of the important um, p- things of your career um so can you take us through we talked about your economics can you take us through the engineering part of your career and how you got into that and how that defines you in your journey yeah so that um was quite interesting because um there was also another particular field that was interested in that my school didn't have that degree in fact at that time not many universities had that degree explicitly and that's financial engineering mm-hmm. um that's literally taking the tools of you know uh quantitative analysis, financial engineering, computer science, math, statistics, essentially, and combining it uh, and applying it to the finance field. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, I was quite fascinated by that. And the things that I needed in the engineering field, I kind of already had. I remember making the jump from economics to uh, the master's program in engineering Mm -hmm. was it was, um, I think the prereqs were, you had to had, have like differential equations, you had to obviously calculus before that, and you had to have no programming, and you'd have to have some advanced stats. Okay. Um, because of my minors in computer science and my minors in um, math, uh, I already knew those things, and I already had already taken them. So the transition was very, um, uh, very smooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really helped me a lot. And so in engineering, gave me a, it, it gave me a skill set to actually think in a very rigorous way. And also 
a lot of this boils down to applied math. Um, if you look at the world that we live in today, uh, computer science, electrical engineering, um, uh, various engineering fields, all of them can actually be boiled down to applied mathematics in some form. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really where my interest was. And that's really where I was uh, quite, um, uh, you know, um, passionate about. And mm -hmm. so that led me to uh, working in, as a data scientist. And then thereafter, I also ended up working in the space of, you know, a startup and blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just became fascinated with that space about where our world is going. I'm really focused on the future of where we're going. And that's like AI, artificial intelligence, that's blockchain technology, that's IoT or the Internet of Things and quantum computing and so many other things. So that engineering degree, I think, helped to open uh, the doors and understanding a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because when you t speak about what you do, um, someone listening from the outside can think, oh, how do these things even relate, right? Because everything looks like it's on the other side of the spectrum. But mm -hmm. when you speak about it, it really shows how every single thing that you've done has led you into that different path, right? So my yeah. question to you is, how can a person identify an opportunity and go forward and seize that opportunity if they are comfortable already within the job that they're doing? Sure, to seek out other opportunities and see mm -hmm. what's what test the water. So, uh, so there's there's a balance here, right? So you want to be, uh, you definitely want to be curious. You want to manage your risk, but you also want to make sure you take on this uh, this opportunity. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. give this through a, through a really quick example. If we take the example of Jeff Bezos, who's like the founder of Amazon, and he's uh, you know often richest or first or second, he goes back and forth with Elon Musk and others uh, in the world. Uh, he was actually quite, if you read his biography, he was actually quite well set on Wall Street. He was one of the youngest partners. He was financially very stable. Mm -hmm. But he thought to himself that if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. And so he went and he pursued this. Now, um, what are some things that you should do before you make this jump? Oftentimes, you want to be prudent, but also make the jump. What does that mean? Uh, everyone's circumstance is different, but you want to have, if you're going to make a jump from one career to another, or for those who are listening who are in employment and jobs and they want to shift towards business, for example, because it's highly recommended from the perspective of the Hello Bay to go do, to do business, right? Mm -hmm. Numerous traditions, right? Like uh, there's 10 parts of sustenance, nine of them are in business uh, and a whole slew. The best aid to faith is wealth, a lot of them and a lot mm -hmm. of that a lot of traditions on business. Keeping that aside for a moment, um, if you want to make the jump in your career shift or from employment and, uh, into business or whatever it may be, oftentimes it's recommended that you have like six to 12 months of savings uh, as a cushion for you in terms of being able to survive and sustain yourself and your family if you have a family. Mm -hmm. So that's really important to keep in mind. Um, so you want to have that. Um, also, you want to make sure that you've done your readings and your understanding about the field you're trying to get into. Uh, our world has actually made it a little bit more, a lot more actually more convenient, right? So let's say you want to make a shift into data science. I remember when I went to data science, there weren't really data science degrees, although statistics has been doing data science for forever. We just haven't like it became a hot buzz term in like five years ago or six years okay. ago. Um, and so uh, you can do certi certifications online um, through a lot of these universities uh, and then get some type of certification or something that will give you some credibility in the space that allows you. And then you can interview and then possibly even, uh, uh, you know, intern. Uh, sometimes you can involve interior services. Let's say you mm -hmm. pick up a new skill set and you try to test the waters to see is this something you enjoy or actually like? One thing that's really important for our, your audience that may be important is sometimes the most important career decisions, not necessarily, although what you do is very important, more important than that is perhaps the industry that you pick. Mm 
if you're passionate about the industry in which you are, you may find that you go a lot further. Um, so that that fit is also very, very uh, important. So mm-hmm. the, the last thing that I'll mention is one of the biggest regrets that people have on their deathbed is actually regret itself. That is, I wish I had pursued my dreams. I mm-hmm. wish I had actually gone and made the jump. There's two types. Warren Buffett, who's obviously quite well known, he mentions that there's two types of regret, hot regret and cold regret. And he's, he, he framed this in the context of investment, but it applies to life in general. And that is um, whenever he invested in a company that, for example, it, it ended up not doing as well as he thought it would do, that was cold regret. That, that was regret. He regretted it, but it wasn't something that was torturing him or really bothering him. But the regret that was the worst was the hot regret, those companies that he knew he should have invested in that he didn't. So even if that's a small amount. Now, this needs to be counterbalanced with the idea of FOMO uh, or like fear of missing out, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to apply this to every single thing. This only applies when you've done your homework and you know there's a market or there's a need or there's uh, there's some success on the horizon. That doesn't mean just reading one pamphlet. That means doing the in-depth research and then you are convinced that this is what the path. Then you trust Allah, you trust your, your you know, you trust the process and you actually make that leap having those things in in mind, it will help you and go a long way. Inshallah. Um, Inshallah. You mentioned quite a bit about um, your passion for public speaking um, and lecturing. So can you tell us a bit about that career? Um, And you've also uh, created this into something that is um, of your religious duty and obligation, right? So can you expand on that? Yes, absolutely. So with respect to public speaking, it was quite something that... um, had inspired me. My mom actually used to speak, uh, still speaks before me. Uh, she's quite much more knowledgeable than I am. And uh, she actually comes from a line of scholars uh, and uh, uh, religious scholars. And so that I think had an impact on me um, historically as well. That's amazing. Uh, and so I think that may have uh, had an Im- impact, intellectual curiosity on that front. Now, there is one quote that has always really stuck with me throughout my life that's actually from. Teddy Roosevelt, or the president, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And um, he gave this at a speech at the Sorbonne, the University of Paris. And the speech is called The Citizenship in a Republic. But there's an excerpt of it, a small portion that is very famous now, and I think should be more famous. And it's called The Man in the Arena. Mm-hmm. And he essentially says that, you know, the credit does not belong to the one who is sitting in the stands in the arena and pointing the finger at the person who is on the arena, in the arena, on the court, so to speak, uh, and whose face is marred with sweat and blood and who is struggling, this, the, the, the credit doesn't belong to the one who criticizes. The credit belongs to the one who's actually fighting in the arena. And this is a really good metaphor uh, to me for life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you on the court or not? Are you really um, there, because there's going to be so many people who uh, criticize you along the way. Um, but that's those those are like athletes, athletes who are on the court. There's thousands of people in the stands. How many people do they hear? They don't hear any individual. They just hear random noise that's co- that's coming. Sometimes they're encouraging. Sometimes they're not. But everyone's focused on the athlete who's on the court. And uh, I think it's very important that to use that. Um, to better this world and this society. Mm -hmm. It's not fame for the sake of fame. It's actually to do the right thing, to have courage. One thing that if I can mention to your audience is our world rewards courage. Mm -hmm. And to have the courage to be able to uh, fail in front of people. 
I'll tell you, I've been lecturing for over like 12 years now. And I have done, I have, I have failed so many times. I forgot what I was going to say. I lost a point. I, you know, mentioned like it's dozens and dozens, especially when I started out. But if you stay with that, you can actually go very far. Um, and that's the real key to, mm-hmm. to not lose enthusiasm through that whole process and not be discouraged. And you will definitely be rewarded with success on the other side. That may not, that may be material, that may be immaterial, that may be impact. Everyone has mm-hmm. different motivators. For me, it's impact. Am I making the world a better place? Am I reducing yeah. suffering? Am I improving people's quality of life? So stay with it and uh, don't give up and you'll go very far. Um, we're reaching the end of our show, um, but I would love to hear a bit about how Islam has helped you on your road to success. Absolutely. Uh, great question. So for me, I had read the history of Islam a little early on, quite early on, and I've always been intrigued by it. And I always wondered, you know, what is it that led Islam historically, it's well documented amongst all historians that for at least 300 years, the center of knowledge in the world uh, was Baghdad, right? Um, mm-hmm. From 800 to 1100 AD, it's well known. And uh, that's where we got mathematics, uh, uh, algebra in particular, Kitab al-Jabr al-Muqabil was written by Muhammad al-Khawarizmi in this era. In fact, Muhammad al-Khawarizmi's name runs this world today because the Latinization of Khawarizmi today is algorithm. Google in our world, and all the social media, everyone, everything runs on an algorithm. And that directly comes from uh, Khawarizmi. For the chemists, mm-hmm. alchemy comes directly from Arabic, um, which literally means it was from the root word of ash uh, or ashes. Um, dozens and dozens of words. So I always wondered what led to the downfall and the decline of Islam. Like, why was it that thriving? Mm-hmm. And there's several reasons what historians give. Some may be substantial, some may not. But one of the themes that keeps coming up is, for example, fatwas that were given by certain religious clergy either themselves or on the pressure of the rulers that Mm. mathematics is the work of the devil Mm. and uh, this led to a decline i would invite our audience to study someone by the name of khwaja nasiruddin atusi who was not only arguably one of the greatest scientists of his time he was also perhaps one of the greatest religious scholars of his time. He was a, you know, he was, mm-hmm. he was a, and so uh, if in fact, if you read Copernicus's model of the universe, because they believed that the universe was geocentric as opposed to heliocentric, uh, his model of the universe actually uh, relies on something called, which we now call the Tusi couple. Why? Because when you look at the graphs of Copernicus and you look at the graphs of Tusi, they are identical. The only difference is Arabic letters for Tusi and, uh, you know, Latin uh, letters for uh, Copernicus. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the main difference. Tusi was well before him. So the implication is that he was reading what was going on there. Coming back to the, your question, mm-hmm. I don't segregate, based on what I've read from our scholars, I do not segregate uh, Islam into religious sciences and non-religious sciences. To me, based on the readings of the scholars that I've read, knowledge is either takes you closer to God or away mm-hmm. from God. That's it. And so when you look at life from that paradigm, everything shifts. I mean, when you look at the teachings of uh, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, you can see the proof of that, right? Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that's really what's important. We need more people who are actually uh, from diverse backgrounds, academically, Mm -hmm. professionally, and otherwise, to actually bring that and revive that culture uh, of uh, the the golden era, if, Mm -hmm. if you will. I'm seeing that more and more these days, inshallah. Um, you can see a spark of that even on social media. You know, we're getting more um, teachings out there and more, um, you know, Shia professionals who are uh, 
we're shining the light on on our teachings and um, the Ahl al-Bayt, right? Um, so inshallah, we can get closer to that. Um, what are your goals in the future, Dr. Shabir? Yeah, so I'm right now what I'm working on, the project that I'm working on is trying to lay the foundation for the future of our community in the next five to 10 to 15 years and hopefully mm -hmm. beyond. Um, we're noticing that as people are getting more educated in our communities, which is fantastic, it's people becoming doctors, lawyers, engineers, but not only that, they're becoming top journalists, they're becoming economists, they're becoming data scientists, they're becoming researchers, and all of that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Simultaneous to this, we're also noticing that people's caliber of their questions are rising. Mm -hmm. The questions that may have been asked a decade or two ago are not going to fly anymore in this generation. We live in a world, for example, I'm thinking of uh, doc Dr. Robert Sapolsky at Stanford, where he teaches a class called behavioral genetics. And he's uh, talking about, you know, we know that, for example, if someone has a gene, we've known for a long time that if someone has, for example, um, our, our genetics make up our physical appearance. Our, but we now know, and we have known for a while, that our genetics also make up our behavior. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are certain genes, for example, a gene variant called MAO-alpha. And this MAO-alpha gene, for, for example, has been tied and correlated to certain behaviors. And so what does this have to do with Islam? What does epigenetics have to do with Islam? What does quantum computing have to do with Islam? What does blockchain technology? I'm trying to help lay the foundation before I move to the next chapter of my career, inshallah, to answer some of these questions to the satisfaction of those who are asking these questions. So that's what I'm busy with uh, today. Inshallah. Um, we're looking forward to reading about this. Um, we're in the final 30 seconds of our show, but can you give us uh, your final piece of advice for our youth today? We've gotten so much advice from you, but yeah, your golden no, absolutely. piece. <laughs> absolutely. Stay curious. Stay mm -hmm. curious and always learning. And that means in your professional, personal, and every part of your life. Make sure that, for example, you know how to manage your stress. Make sure you know how to work hard. Make sure you know how to work smart. These three things are very important. You may find that you're excelling in your career, but if you can't manage your stress, that may bleed over into anger and affect your personal relationships. Always improve professionally as well as personally and make the world a better place. Thank you so much, Dr. Shabir Kermani, for your um, invaluable advice um, and your extensive career and journey and for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You were just listening to the Umentor talk show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the Umentor website under prior talk shows. Um, and like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, if you know any speakers or anyone who would be interested, a professional within your community um, who would be interested in coming on the talk show, please reach out to us at info at umojaoutreach.org.